Welcome, listeners, to Out of the Box with your host, Jonathan Russo. Today's guest is Thomas Weber, who I've had the good fortune of getting to know over the past few years. Mr. Weber is Professor of History and International Affairs and Director of the Center for Global Security and Governance at the University of Aberdeen. He also serves as Senior Associate at the Center for European, Russian, and Eurasian Studies at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. Holding a master's degree and PhD from Oxford University, he has previously held positions at the University of Glasgow, the University of Chicago, the University of Pennsylvania, and the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton and Harvard University. His most recent book is Becoming Hitler, The Making of a Nazi, published by Basic Books. Mr. Weber is co-author of a report on the future of transatlantic relations and serves as an analyst of contemporary international affairs for a number of organizations and news outlets. Thomas, thank you for joining us today. I um, really, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm kind of crawling out of my skin about uh, the topic we're going to discuss. Um, that's Joseph, and I want to pronounce it right. So would you pronounce it correctly for me once? Joseph Goebbels. Joseph Goebbels. That's right. Okay, we'll call him Goebbels. Joseph, the reason that I'm crawling out of my skin about this is that I, I read a book um, two or three weeks ago I wrote a review for called The Hangman and His Wife by Nancy Dougherty. And it's the biography of uh, Reinhard Heydrich. And it is so chilling in its depiction of how Heydrich and the Hitler and Goebbels uh, all took over the Third Reich and created the Third Reich and what they did to Germany. Um, that it was just, you know, I, even if you've read, you know, 50 books on this on this topic, you never can read enough. And the depiction of the big lie and the use of propaganda um, in the book really uh, stimulated me to, to call you and see if we could do this. Now, as a small backstory, I've been interested in, in, in Goebbels since I was 20, 21 years old. For some reason, I read the diary, his entire diaries when I was in college. Um, so it's not a topic that is new to me or a man, or a familiar a man that is that is a stranger to me. I mean, I've always been interested in what he's done. And I was in the advertising business for many years and uh, aware of all the techniques that uh, that he could use to manipulate people. But I would love you to tell us as a scholar of, of this period um, how you see his role in the rise of the Third Reich in Nazi Germany and then we'll get into the relevance to today. Yes, th thank you. Um, I think it's absolutely central. Um, and the problem is in a way that kind of everyone talks about Goebbels. Everyone knows that he was extremely talented. And yet a lot of people are really kind of unwilling to take him seriously. In mm. part, I think this is part of um, a tendency generally of an unwillingness of taking seriously the, the the top dogs of the Third Reich. I mean, there's this kind of worry, particularly in Germany, that if you focus too much on Hitler or Goebbels, that you somehow then let other Germans um, off the hook, and that if you focus too much on Goebbels or Hitler's talents, then you would somehow want to, this is somehow part of an apologetic way of wanting to have a kind of Germany that no longer needs to feel guilty um, about its past because it's all just Goebbels or uh, Hitler's fault. 
And um, where this actually also really plays out as regards is, um, is, is, is this new film about Goebbels that is currently being uh, produced or that was shot over the summer, which is a fictionalized film um, about uh, Goebbels for which um, I have the, the, the privilege and the honor to serve as um, as a consultant but the filmmakers in germany had enormous difficulties of making this film happen i mean they're extremely successful filmmakers they normally have no problems raising the funds uh, for the film particularly as there is in germany and other european countries such a tradition of public film funding but basically all the public film boards didn't want to touch a film that um, has hitler and goebbels as the central uh, character or as a kind of protagonist in a kind of fictionalized way. And I'm glad to, 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 to say that, they're go that they went ahead with the film anyway, ultimately on a shoestring budget. I also think it's really important that it's a fictionalized film, and I'll tell you why. Because the problem is that Goebbels' propaganda is just so good, it is just so successful, is that we don't know that to the present day we're still buying into Goebbels' um, uh, uh, propaganda, that every time we reproduce in some documentary or some short film clip on the news, some short clip of Hitler screaming into the camera, we're doing unwittingly Goebbels' uh, bidding. A fictionalized form is far easier to actually show how the mechanisms of uh, of how the big lie worked. Do you think he was unique to Germany or it was at the right place at the right time? Is there a Spanish Goebbels? Is there a, a, a French one, a, a British one? Why, why was the German populace in, in the, the Weimar Republic so susceptible to, to the propaganda that, that he that he put out? Was it just the time or was it the function of being German? I think the, maybe at, at the risk of saying something kind of unpopular, because of course now we kind of want to, to look at everything through the prism of Goebbels and the Third Reich. I think Goebbels is in quotation marks only an extreme example of a certain kind of propagandist that was extremely common during his time. Um, so I don't think he's the originator of this kind of propaganda, um, but he is its master. I mean, he was um, maybe, I think it's in part because yeah. he was more talented than, uh, than um, others. Um, and in fact, there are these kind of quotes, I think, by he, him himself is, is that who still remembers um, the propagandist of whatever country, but pe people, everyone is talking about Goebbels. So he was aware of his talents, yeah. but I don't think that there was structurally something totally right. different. I think it was an extreme example. So what I'm struck by, and this kind of shifts it now to a little bit what we want to talk about today's um, propaganda um, is how audacious his propaganda was. Uh, every time I read about what he did, it was the he he had a mirror of the opposite. So if if it was um, he was going to attack the Jews and 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 create the exterminate all the Jews, he went out and said, um, "If the Jews want war, I mean, he just flipped the script, whatever he on whatever um, he wanted to do, and." That is what I sense is going on in America today. Um, they're flipping the script. The 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 MAGA Republicans uh, are flipping the script 
on whatever is true is false, whatever is false is true. And they're going down this rabbit hole of, of craziness that is um, reminiscent of, of, of Goebbels and, and the Third Reich in its entirety. And tell me about how that worked out in terms of the audaciousness of the lie. Mm, it's a good question. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. There was a lot of there was a lot of that in Goebbels and Hitler's lies. But of course, also bear in mind, and it may, I think this also becomes important if we talk about the 21st century, is that they thought, at least, for instance, if they were talking about the Jews, that their that their ultimately this was built on a truth. So, I mean, there were there were a lot of things where Hitler, both Hitler and Goebbels, they, they perfectly knew that they were lying. And I think they were consciously more far more lying than, for instance, um, um, most demagogues uh, today would do, or certainly in the West. Um, but when it came to, for instance, to the Jews, I think we're dealing with this kind of sense that, sure, did Goebbels would have not thought that that the Jews are about to attack Germany in 1941 or whatever. But at the same time, the bigger story, um, the bigger story of that the Jews were a threat to Germany's future security and for Germany to survive for all times, I think was at least for Hitler a genuine belief. But in a way, it's interesting that you're asking about Goebbels and not Hitler here, because the with Goebbels, in a way, we don't quite know what he really, really genuinely believed, because, un, I mean, Goebbels was a convert to anti-Semitism far later than Hitler was. Um, so the... So you're saying this could have been opportunistic. Well, that's what's coming out if you look at the... Uh, the, the, the minutes uh the presentation of the january 6th congressional committee you know that what's coming out is um uh, clearly trump didn't believe for a minute that he he won the election he was told by you know almost every inside uh confidant that he lost the election he knew he lost the election this is coming out over and over yet he decided that he was going to claim that he won the election that's an enormously destabilizing um, thing to do for a democracy. Uh, never before in a presidential uh, election has anybody ever done anything like that uh, at that level. Um, so there, this, there was a cynicism involved in both what you're saying, Goebbels, anti-Semitism, and what I see is Trump's uh, election lie fraud. Uh, just a cynicism designed to do what? To stabilize things, create a power vacuum that they can step into, make people crazy just for the sake of making people crazy, uh, creating an election denial that threatens democracy, that you know weakens America so that you know uh, his friend Putin can can benefit from a weakened America, which is my my, my belief from get go. What what's the goal of of the uh, destabilizing big lie? Can I briefly unpack what you've just said? Is I think because in a way there. There are two issues here when you look at January 6th. Um, one is the behavior of Donald Trump and the extent to which this totally breaks with um, American tradition or Western tradition. Um, 
And the other one is what Trump genuinely believes. Because I think in a way you've just said that based on everything that people close to him seem to have said to him, he he genuinely must believe he, he genuinely he genuinely must believe that he lost the election and 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 against better judgment he is claiming the opposite. That in a way is kind of it's a diff, it's a difficult proposition to test and, and I'll get back to that in a second. In a way, I think the more sta- destabilizing issue is that ignore what he genuinely believes is that he is then still unwilling to concede because in a way what would what would require what would be required um, according to the American and the Western tradition is that if everyone else around you tells you you have lost the election you concede you call the other side and you say congratulations irrespective of whether you genuinely believe that you have lost. I mean, the same way that, for instance, Al Gore ultimately um, accepted the loss. But whether or not Donald Trump genuinely believes that there was no fraud, I'm less sure about. Um, I find it very difficult to get into the head of the man. I mean, it seems clear by a lot of the interviews uh, from Congress that obviously so many people around him told him, look, you've lost the election. I, but I also understand from, uh, from insiders from close to him that he genuinely believes that, um, for instance, in Nevada and other places, that there okay. was genuine, genuine fraud. And in that sense, this doesn't somehow make it any better. But if you look at this, the psychology of Trump, you may actually have a slightly different psychology than the psychology okay. of, um, of 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 Goebbels, because I think Goebbels perfectly knew that he was talking right. nonsense. Uh, but I'm less sure about Trump. That's really interesting. Okay, thank you for that insight. It's very possible, but I don't I think he knows. But uh, uh, that it wasn't determinate that there was no fraud that was determinant enough for him to have lost uh, that many votes. But that's interesting. Let's talk about this deep state and 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 um, and Banyan's creation of this concept of the deep state and Trump's endless reiteration of the deep state is at war with him. Um, I don't think there's a minute that that Banyan isn't ranting and raving about the deep state on his on his uh, war room podcast. He invented this term, created this term. It's been on our consciousness now for about you know five six years. What was the role of the deep state in 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 Goebbels' uh, belief in, in Nazi Germany? What, who was the deep state that 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 uh, that Hitler and the and the Nazis had to fight against in in uh, when they were taking power? I would have thought that Bannon and others are borrowing more there, for instance, from traditions in Turkey um, and recent traditions in Turkey, and we can uh, get back to that in um, in a second. Uh, but it's interesting to uh, to 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 think for a second about um, the Nazis and, this, and 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 the deep state, because I think what the Nazis were doing is is they're obviously saying that the state has been has been corrupted, has been taken over uh, by whoever, but. Um, in a way, oh, I think here here's my answer. Um, I think my answer is is that um, 
their strategy, their tactic was a different one, which prevented them from publicly talking about the deep state. Because what the Nazis were doing is they were trying to um, initially ally themselves with traditional conservatives and to, um, to, to fool them into believing that they were on their side and that they would help traditional conservatives, that they would help traditional elites, that they would um, that they would help them destroy uh, the left and liberals and and so on. So in that sense, um, they needed to pretend publicly that they were on the side of the traditional elites and and, and the traditional state, while in reality, then using the first. 18 months after 1933 in um, kind of cleverly pushing them to the sidelines in kind of paying lip service or telling them all the time how important they are while at the same time um, pushing them off um, off the cliff. So in that sense, talking about the deep state would have been dangerous. It goes along with the, the big lie technique because when you he's identified the deep state, basically it's the institutions that are our democracy. <laughs> you know, not that they're perfect, but you know, the CIA, the FBI, the Justice Department, uh, you know, e even the EPA, these these are the, the mechanisms that we have a functioning civilization, not even a democracy, just a civilization. Without them, there is no civilization. So when you know when, when they run amok, we want to rein them in. They're not perfect. They they're perfectly capable of doing you know evil. But if they don't exist, then we have anarchy. And that's the sense that um, I, I get that they want to create this anarchist situation. We've talked about this in a previous podcast and then step in. How does his big lie and, and, and the destabilization of our society mirror what Goebbels did? I think it mirrors it in terms of technique. Okay. Great. In terms of, um, so I think what you see in uh, in 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 what Goebbels did, in what Trump sometimes does, but also, of course, what a lot of populists and dem demagogues around the world uh, do um, at the moment and have done in history, which is basically very cleverly use techniques of populism, of demagoguery, um, of um, of of exaggerating things, of telling things that you know are not quite true and so on in order to because you know it's going to 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 work it you know this is going to um to create a mass frenzy and i think it's no coincidence that if you look at pictures of for instance trump rallies you see more and more similarities to political rallies uh, not just in 1920s and 1930s Germany, but in 1920s, uh, 1920s and 1930s uh, interwar Europe. So I think it's really there where the main similarity yeah. lies. I think where the difference lies is... So wait, go that, emphasize yeah. that again. The, the similarity lie is that um, they have understood what the public wants or needs or fears and they are going to feed that rather than lead them into something. They're going to feed into that. Is that is that what you're saying? They're going to emphasize what they believe the people want, need and are looking for. Whether it's true or not. I think that 
ultimately, yes. Of course, the problem is that you often don't know, um, particularly with populists and demagogues, you don't know which of them reflect on these mechanisms and might have read uh, not just Goebbels, but maybe like old texts like Gustave Le Bon's late 19th century text about mass uh, mass society and and uh, with which already people like Goebbels read, or whether they just kind of function, whether in an unreflected way, they just kind of in, intuitively operate along those lines. I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lorraine Brobbitt or any of the uh, uh, people, other other clowns uh, have read any, anything that you're talking about. I think they're, 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 they're playing back uh, what their gut tells them on by the minute. They're like more like amoeba that are just reacting to sunlight uh, and stimulation. And they're just throwing that back in everybody's face. I'm not sure that they've read anything. I'm not sure that they're literate, but that's another story. Sure, and and I'm not questioning that. I mean, but if you look, but in a way, which brings us back to is to to people like Steve Bannon, because I mean, Steve Bannon is, uh, I mean, whatever you make of him, he's of course intelligent. Right, and, that's different. And um, he, it is through it is through people like him that ideas um, are are transported over time, and. Um, people then don't need to necessarily understand um, everything Steve Bannon says. They do not need to understand the theory of what Steve Bannon is, um, is, is, is doing, but they emulate it. They copy it. He helps to create that kind of um, atmosphere. Right. And, and in, in that sense, I think you always have got kind of these, um, in, in, in the same is true for the Third Reich. I mean, you have pe these people who, who, who think about these things in abstract terms, who also think about in abstract terms of how you need to lie, um, while um, others don't. I mean, they might not realize that they're lying or lying just comes naturally to them. Um, but in a way, I think it might be interesting to look at self-perceptions of lying. If you look at Goebbels and Hitler, they absolutely, I think, ultimately believe in ideas, and they ultimately also believe in the bigger truth of the, what they were doing, but they're also perfectly aware that they're lying all the time. Okay. There are also quotes by both of them where they know, right. where, they say, where they say, look, we had to say this earlier because I think Trump thinks a little bit differently. I think Trump basically thinks that everyone else is lying, and he is, ki <laughs> and he is kind of the ultimate person who's telling the truth. So he is kind of almost the uh, the only politician who is truthful to the politicians. But because everyone else is lying, you need to kind of if you just tell the truth, no, everyone will think that that you're lying. So, so I think Trump knows that he's lying, but he he's lying in his own self perception by totally exaggerating. So. He is blowing things out of proportion uh, from his own. I'm talking about his self self uh, self perception uh, because he knows that if he says X, um, the New York Times or whoever will not believe it. But if he actually says X times ten, then people will say, "Well, X maybe is true, but it's, it's just totally um, exaggerated." And he also knows if he totally exaggerates then it will get him into uh, into the New York Times or whatever. People will respond to it. He doesn't care that he will get a Pinocchio because he kind of, because he knows he, he is, 
he is a bit of a Pinocchio, but he also thinks that ultimately he is exaggerating the real truth. So I think he he genuinely believes he's the one guy who is telling the real truth. And wow. I don't think the same would be true for Goebbels and Hitler. Wow. But that, of course, does not necessarily take the danger wow. of, Trump, right, right. Of, of Trump away, right. because the impact of that, of destroying right. the fabric of American democracy, is still, of course, there. Wow, that's really smart. So if I can summarize that for the layman myself, you're you're implying that um tr that there was a cynicism in Goebbels that that doesn't really necessarily exist in Trump because Goebbels knew he was pathologically lying and telling falsehoods for a greater good. Trump actually may believe in his guts that this is the truth and any method of exaggeration or, or will will work towards achieving that goal. Um, it's almost like he's willfully self-deluded himself so that he's 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 Teflon free from worrying about the truth. Nancy Dougherty has a fantastic quote in her book, and it goes like this. In the Third Reich, it's not the truth that matters. It's what you can get people to believe. <laughs> that just summed up the entire, you know, in, entire propaganda uh, campaign of the Third Reich to me, that, that you, it was what you could get people to believe. And that really ties in, I think, I hope, to what exactly what you just said. It's really what it's not really Trump doesn't really think it's the truth that matters is what he can get people to believe. And that's true for the candidates that he's selected and, you know, for the Senate and the House campaigns. It's what he can if he can get you to believe Herschel Walker is a competent potential senator so much the better, even though he's a buffoon, mentally ill lunatic. If he can get you to believe Dr. Oz should be a senator in the United States, even though he's a complete fraudulent quack with a without a sentient sense of of medical you know, a, a medical ethics, uh, then, you know, Trump is even better. I mean, it's really a goal, isn't it? To like try to, you know, get people to believe what you believe. And if you can accomplish that, God, you must at the end of the day, smoke a cigar back at your, you know, golf club and think you're really a smart guy. You just got Herschel Walker, you know, nominated to the Republican Party and you got Dr. Oz as the Republican choice and for Senate campaign, as well as, you know, another 65 psychopaths out there. I mean, it's pretty powerful shit, isn't it? Yeah, I think that I think there's a lot of truth in it. I mean, I think the in a way you've kind of summarized that ultimately, I mean, why ultimately Trump thinks that he is he's a genius. I mean, we have all kind of laughed about him declaring that a genius and a stable genius and so on. But I think we also make it again. We need to take these kind of things seriously. So I think that Trump genuinely does believe that he is a genius, that he has insights uh, that no one else uh, does. Well, he did become and, president and, and, of the United States, you know what I mean? Yeah, so in that sense, you know, it's like, I'm not, you're right, not, but, you know, it's like, you know, and, in and a sense, think, he is a genius. He beat out all the, that they threw 11 candidates at him, you know, well-funded, the Bushes, all these other, you know, one well-funded, you know, real candidates. They, they they all, they couldn't believe it. It is exactly like Hitler. We made fun of Hitler and his mustache and Charlie Chaplin goofed on him and, you know, in the in the great dictator and they, they laughed at him and nobody could believe it. And I mean, this, there's a great Ken Burns documentary out. We're all watching that in America. Uh, I saw the episode one last night. Um, you know, about the rise of Hitler and we've all read about it or whatever. I mean, nobody could, no human being could believe that this the, the, this buffoon, you know, could, could possibly take over the entire German establishment, but he did. 
So wow, there must be something wrong with the human race that allows itself to be befuddled by, by these people and ultimately led to the destruction of 50 million people in Germany reduced to, to rubble and, and, and not, even a, not even a functioning civilization, let alone a war-torn country. Um, so I, I, you know, that's a deeper question that I don't think any of us can answer what's wrong with, you know, what's wrong with humanity, but, um, let's get back to, let's get back to the topic. <laughs> help out, help us, help us out here right now. I mean, I mean, as with regards to Trump and him smoking a cigar at the end of the day and thinking about what he has accomplished, I think that kind of image probably works well, um, Again, I think probably from uh, Trump's perspective, I would think that almost certainly he would think again he that maybe pushing these through uh, these people through would there would be a strong uh, tactical element to it and a kind of tactical line to it. But I also do think that um, this uh, would be in the name of. Um, in the in the name of what he thinks is being the ultimate truth teller, um, the again, I mean, we we may totally disagree with his version of the truth, but I think we should entertain seriously that he ultimately that he ultimately does not think that he is just lying all the time. His kind of little lies are in, I mean, from his perspective, little lies. I'm not saying that, that, you know, that for me they're little lies, that from his perspective, they're little lies in the name of a greater good, of a greater real truth. But again, I, right. I also do think that the the impact is the same, that they help us, that they that they help to destroy democracy. And if I could maybe just the uh, to, to try to attempt uh, to answer your kind of much bigger question you raised a minute ago, for which I would probably need uh, several days. But I think there is also a serious point here, which is that, I mean, obviously, uh, humanity has been perfectly able and willing to be cruel throughout its history. And in many ways, there is less, uh, there's, there's less violence than in um, earlier decades. But we still have got to ask ourselves, why is it possible that society like like uh, Germany in the 20th century or now some countries in 21st century are doing what they're doing in an age of mass politics. And I think it's precisely this kind of sense of mass politics that the people are um, or that people want to be in the driver's seat, that they want to have self-determination. They no longer accept that political legitimacy is coming from some higher being, but that political legitimacy, legitimacy genuinely has to sit in them. And in moments of crisis, they, 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 they often, and often gen for good reasons, believe that this is all just a big lie. This is just not happening. The, there might in theory be a democracy, there might in theory be parliaments, but this is all just in the name of some oligarchs or some capitalists or, or you name it. And if in moments of crisis of this kind, it, if then people come along who a way out of that, who, who promise real democracy, then 
then people are very willing to to switch from from uh, from that. This is also why I think it's a mistake not to take seriously that the that that the Nazis pretended to the or, or thought genuinely thought that they were the better Democrats right. than uh, than those who had existed before. They thought that they would bring real rule of the people, and this then creates opportunities for people to exploit this and to also or people who genuinely believe that this is all down to the doings of Jews or of some other enemy to think if only. If only we actually get rid of that enemy, then finally there will be real democracy, which I think is also why um, I think that's a kind of psychological process. Also, the social psychological process that explains how uh, modern societies are willing to do these kind of unspeakable um, acts because they they ultimately think that that is the price that has to be paid to create a better world, to create real democracy. Um, and this is in a way also why I'm so worried what's happening now. In a way, I'm almost less worried. I'm, I'm, I'm almost not so worried about Trump, but rather about the impact of what Trump and others um, are doing because the by destroying the fabric of democracy, exactly. uh, uh, of, of of democracy exactly. that that creates opportunity for other people that, to, that, to, to to come up in a way. I've always said I'm not so worried about Trump rather than right. what might come after Trump. We completely agree. I, I but again, my thesis from from very very beginning is that um, the, that he's destabilized the United States in in a way that it only benefits uh, Russia. It benefits our enemies. Uh, it, it it creates a, a instability, and I, I, I now I'm going to rant and rave a minute. Uh, I, I think what's going on now is the deep state is fighting back. I call it the deep state Popeye moment. I think they've had all they can stands and they can stands anymore. And uh, the FBI and the Justice Department and the New York State Attorney General and the Atlanta or uh, Attorney General in uh, in uh, Atlanta or nearby Atlanta, whatever. Are all they're they're all they've had it. Everybody's had enough, and the, the the big big deep state has had enough, and they know what he's done, and they know the crimes that he's committed. Even the uh, quote Trump judges that just ruled that uh, his defense against seizing the documents was a farce. Um, I think the deep state has had enough. I think they really worried about America the same way you are. I'm worried about America uh, on a on a very profound level, and I think that the powers are going to fight back, and they're going to jail Bannon, and they're going to jail Trump. And uh, they know that he and Bannon are agents of the Russians and that they've come to destabilize America. That's my little rant and rave. And I think it's really going to I think we're witnessing the beginning of the turning of the of, of the uh, the end where the the apparatus of, quote, the deep state, if you will, which is our democracy, you know, basically uh, it has had enough and uh, they're, they're not going to take it anymore. So. We've covered a lot of stuff. We've we're going to run out of time. Um, thank you, Thomas, uh, for the insights regarding uh, Goebbels. Uh, certainly, this is on everybody's mind right now with uh, the big lie and the election coming up, and the Ken Burns documentary and uh, Banyan and uh, uh, the, the war that we're seeing in January sixth. Commission uh, their report and uh, the seizure of uh, the documents from Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate really sense that uh, that this the the fight between um, the big lie and uh, the deep state has come to a climax and we're witnessing it every day. So all your insights regarding history and and Germany and Goebbels were very appreciated and I really thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Listeners. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at ootbwithjrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, ootbwithjrusso. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.